have been doing any week that it lands on prayer, the Lord sees fit sovereignly to give, make that my turn to preach. Right? I don't look at what the weeks are. I just kind of say, hey, Nathan, when are you out of town? Okay, so I'll plug you in the week before or after you're out of town, and then I'll fill in all those gaps, and here we are. My turn to remind you guys that prayer is an exercise that you and I will hone together for the rest of our lives. And there is no such thing as praying on expert level. Right, I was never very good at video games, so I never played those video games on expert level. I played them on beginner. Like my friends are playing. This is why I hated video games. Just a little, take a little time out from that. I hated these video games because I would die in these video games. And then by the time I came back to life, my friend would be standing there to shoot me because he knew where I was gonna come back to life. Like they had spent so much time and effort working on their video games that they would know the patterns at where people came back to life. And I wondered to myself, do we spend that much time that we know the patterns and the routines of how we meet with God in prayer? Like, are we content? Because I was content to play these video games on beginner level. I was content to win at beginner level. But are we content to pray at beginner level? Knowing that there's no expert level that we can reach, but should we not press in? And we get to this, this Daniel, who is no hero because of his sinlessness, but he is a hero for us in giving us a model. So today we're going to talk about this prayer that Daniel makes. Um, I've said a lot of words, so we'll go ahead and let the magic voice read to you, starting in chapter 9, verse 1. Hunter, go ahead and take that away. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. 
He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself, as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. So we see Daniel praying this prayer of redemption, praying this idea. We, we sang earlier that no one can fathom a love so divine that Jesus, our King, would lay down his life to rescue these captives from our slavery so that we could join with the saints, singing, you and I are redeemed. And 500 years before Jesus goes to the cross, Daniel is praying, O oh God, redeem your people. Daniel, a man known for his habits of prayer, here he is, uh, depending on the guesswork that is done in the timeline, it's somewhere between one and five years before Daniel has his lion's den encounter. Daniel is here praying to God. He's being reminded of who God is. He's got this habit where he prays. He is known as a man who prays. He is entrapped because of his unwillingness to waver from his prayer. And all the while he is calling out for the brokenness of men and the redemption of God. At this point, they are exiles taken captive into Babylon. The temple has been destroyed, Jerusalem overrun, and everyone else has been carted out of the city in other directions. And Daniel begins to pray. And as I begin to read his prayer, I start to think about my own prayers. I, I start to think about the patterns of my own prayers. Oftentimes, the Lord wakes me up in the middle of the night. I don't know if it's the Lord or if it's my inability to stay still for very long, uh, but I, I like to attribute that to the Lord. 
um, I just assign my ADD to the Lord. That's his. He's always awaking inside of me this energy. But at night, I'll find myself awake for hours for no reason. And I'll begin to pray. And I'll begin to pray for whatever face or name or situation pops into my mind. And this week, as I was reading and studying this, I started to think, but is there a pattern to my prayer? Not that every prayer has to follow a specific pattern, but there are certain elements that every prayer should involve. Like These prayers are always prayers for rescue, redemption, whether we're praying for Miss Nan to be alleviated from her headaches. Right? She has been held captive for how long with these headaches? And we've been praying for rescue and redemption, knowing that rescue and redemption doesn't come in the alleviation of headaches. Rescue and redemption comes through Jesus, but our prayers are always, Lord, deliver from a situation. Starting to read this prayer from Daniel, what is the pattern? What are the elements involved in his prayer? And we see right here from the beginning, verse 2, it says, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the numbers of years that according to the word of the Lord that gave the prophet must pass before, the, Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of our desolations. Let's read this, uh, flip on down to Jeremiah, and then we'll do that quote. It says, this is, this is what he's remembering. These are the thoughts that are running through Jer, or Daniel's prayer as he's praying this. It says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed, before Israel, before the people of Judah are taken into captivity in Babylon, the Lord gives Jeremiah this word, tells him what's going to happen, tells him how long it's going to happen, and tells him what's going to happen afterward. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all of the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Like, so it, most people, if you could quote one verse from the book of Jeremiah, it's 29.11, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not harm you, to give you a hope and a future. But that prosperity, that freedom from harm, that hope and that future was not an immediate promise if you do then. But it's after I do, then. After I drive you into exile, after I give you the opportunity to think about who I am and where I stand and where you stand in light of that, after I've given you time for that, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to give you a hope and a future. So Daniel is here praying at the end of these 70 years. He's counting up, okay, I am... Seems like I was just a boy when we came here. I was just thinking, thinking about this. I came here and I rejected the king's food. I wanted to be faithful to the Lord. And he, he told me not to eat 
food sacrificed to an idol. He told me not to eat certain kinds of food. And so I wanted to be faithful to the Lord. And so I took a stand. And the Lord was with me. He reminded me that though I was in exile, I'm not alone. And then the king had a dream a few years later. And it's like, man, God showed up again. Showed up again. No one could figure out what the king's dream was because the king was keeping it a secret. But the Lord told me. But the Lord didn't tell me until I remember saying, King, give me some time to pray. Then I went to my buddies, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and I said, guys, let's seek the Lord. Let's ask him to give us this vision. What is the dream? And then the Lord gave it to him in the interpretation. And then my buddies, a few years later, get thrown into the fire. It's like we haven't done enough to show the king that our God is the God. We haven't done enough to show the king that you should follow this God. He delivers us every time. But he declares allegiance to God and then builds a statue to himself. And he throws my buddies in the fire. Here we are at the end of this time. I've seen kings rise and I've seen kings fall. I've seen the elements from the Lord's temple profaned. But we gotta be getting near the end of it. Time has to be ticking down. So in his prayer, before his prayer, he runs to the scriptures. He runs to say, God, what have you already told me? What do I already know about you? And then... How many, it's a moment, I, I'm, I'm honest, right? I've already told you I struggle with praying, right? So this is your moment. This is your opportunity for honesty. How many of you would say that you struggle memorizing the Bible? Anybody? I'll go ahead and put my hand up there, right? Oh, good. We're not alone. That one was an easy one, right? We're all terrible at it. How many of you would say you struggle visualizing things that go on in the Bible. Yeah? Like you read it and it's like, God, I can't even picture that. Re read this with me. This is a quote from one of the resources we've been doing. It was the one before. Yeah. Uh, we learn a lot about how to use Scripture by observing how those in Scripture use the word that was available to them. This is an important aspect of the Reformation principle that we, we let the Scriptures interpret the Scriptures. We learn something of that principle by observing how the prophet Daniel reads the prophets that preceded him, right? So it's hard sometimes to visualize how to use the Bible in our prayer, but it's like God knew that we were going to struggle with that. So here's what we'll do. Since you're going to struggle figuring out how to use the Bible in your prayer, I'm going to go ahead and show you how it's done. And that was part of the Reformation, right? This year will be the 499th year on uh, October 31st, the 499th year of Martin Luther saying, here's some things that are broken with the church. And one of the things that we don't do as a church is teach our people to read the Bible. And we, since we don't teach our people to read the Bible, we don't teach them to interpret the Bible with the Bible. So what we do as the, the Catholic church is we'll just, and he's a monk, so he's part of them, he's one of them, we'll just tell you what the Bible says. And we'll, we won't even tell you what the Bible says from experience reading it, but we'll tell you what the Bible says based on what the people before us told it it says. 
And over time, the Bible begins to get shifted and changed. And sometimes you'll go into a, a Catholic church and you'll hear them say something from the word of the Lord. And you're like, gosh, that's not even, like, that's not even close. Like, I'm not sure why I'm praying to this lady. But we'll get there. We're going to start a, a new series uh, in December. We're going to go through the book of Luke together. We're going to understand the life of Jesus how we can communicate uh, who Jesus was. You can't communicate who somebody was if you don't know them, right? So we're going to study that. But the Reformation principle of, of, it's called sola scripta. It's just the Bible, the Bible alone. We're going to run to the Bible. Now, we're going to let some scholars explain the Bible to us. But if we are studying from a scholar who doesn't use the Bible to explain the Bible, then we're going to reject them in their teachings. Some of the things you see in the news. Remember a few years ago, I don't know, a few years ago with the Columbine shooting. Remember the story of the girl who said yes? You guys heard that? Read there was a book written. What? I don't know. I thought her name was Cassie. Whatever her name doesn't matter. She she didn't deny the Lord in the moment where she thought maybe she could have saved her own life. And in that moment, we hear that story, and it's like, gosh. Deny me in front of people, and I'll deny you. And so what areas in my life? Maybe I wouldn't openly with my mouth deny the Lord, but are there areas in my life where I'm denying his lordship? Are there areas in my life where I'm denying his kingship? So we, we see Daniel using the scriptures, and then we see the Lord teaching us through other people. So today what I want us to do is see three principles that we can take and use in our prayer lives. So Daniel was a praying man, and the first thing that Daniel did was pray the promises of God. Is that right? Yeah. He rested in the promises of God. Like we just talked, he prayed that at the end of 70 years, but God said, God said we weren't going to be in exile forever. He said he was going to return us back home. He was going to bring us back from all of the directions that he scattered us. So not just those of us who've been taken away to Babylon, but people who've been taken to Assyria and been taken to other places. He's going to bring back home. Because God told our forefather, Abraham, that he was going to make a nation out of us. And right now we are no nation, but we are a bunch of people scattered. We are exiles, captive. We are no nation. So I remember, I remember God said he was going to make a nation out of us and we're not one. And then he told us that at the end of this 70 years, he was going to bring us back. And he was going to give us our homeland back. He was going to restore to us the place where we worship him. And so God promises. So when you would read the scriptures, you read them, are there promises that you can take hold of, right? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper and not harm you, give a hope and a future. That's not a promise. That is not a promise for immediate alleviation of your pain and suffering. But it is a promise that God knows, like we talked about last week. God knows the measure of evil, and he knows the end of evil. He is the Lord over all of it. 
He knows how big, how wide, how deep, and he knows that he's bigger than that, and he knows the end date. Whether you and I struggle for the rest of our life here on planet Earth, he knows that ultimately we have a hope and a future in the kingdom of heaven. So as you're reading through the scriptures, it's important for your prayers that you read them. It's not just important that you read the scriptures so you read them and know them, but it's important that you read them so you can examine where are the promises, what has God told me? Because one of the most important aspects of any relationship is communication, right? It's hard to be married for very long to someone you don't speak to. It's hard to be married to someone very long when you don't speak the right kinds of words when you speak. You don't have the right tone, the right heart, the right approach. We, we communicate all the time. Yeah, I live next door. <laughs> I know. I hear you communicating. And last week, you were really loud. And this week, she was. Right? Might want to consider whether or not you're over-communicating. Right? So when you don't spend the time diving into one another, you misunderstand when someone says something. Same is true with God. When we don't spend time understanding and knowing the things that He has promised us, then our communications turn into this, oh, God, here I am again. Here I am again on my own. Nope. I don't know. just popped into my head. But doesn't that turn out to be our prayers, right? Oh, here I am, God. I'm alone again. Knock, knock. Because you seem to be unaware that the bottom has fallen out for me again. And clearly, God, you don't care. You ever found yourself praying that prayer? When the promises of God would tell us that he does care. The promises of God would tell you that the bottom hasn't fallen out and it won't fall out. So Daniel here is praying these promises and he finds these promises in the word of God. The next thing is he does is he's praying about the character of God. Oh, I jumped ahead. We prayed the character of God, right? So here in, um, in verse four, it says, I prayed to the Lord and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with his people. And then he goes on again there at the end. He's righteous in all of his works. God owns. There in verse 9 says, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Inside of God's character is his desire to be merciful to his people. And in his mercy, and he's going to give you the forgiveness that he owns. He prays the character of God. Where do you find the character of God? Right? You can't be a person who pursues right communication with God outside of this. God, why don't you ever talk to me? It seems like when I'm praying... 
at three in the morning looking up at the ceiling that my prayers go no further than the ceiling. Why is that, God? Why don't you ever talk back to me? I, I hear from my friends that I heard from the Lord, and God, it's been so long since I've heard from you. And the question that I always ask is, well, when was the last time you listened? I, I lay there for hours waiting for him to speak. When was the last time you picked up his communication to you? Can I ask you guys a favor? Right, so in the 90s, I was, I'm a child of the 90s. Much small, those were my formative years. And uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles taught us to use some words uh, that I'd like for people to stop using. Right? Can you and I put our hands in a circle and get ready to say, go team, and uh, stop using the word awesome? Right? Can we stop using that word awesome? Right? I find myself doing it all the time. Oh, man, that's awesome. You can use cowabunga. You can use radical, right? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles gave you a, a, just a long list. Let's move awesome off the list. Awesome means to inspire or strike one with a sense of awe, right? There are things in this world that should inspire you and strike you with a sense of awe. And as a follower of Jesus, all of them should come from the works of God's hand. Rescue, redemption, and forgiveness of sin through the cross of Jesus should strike awe in your heart. Last Sunday after church, we were watching a video of a song called Forever. And it was a live version of this song. And it's a version, it's, the song is sung by Carrie Job. And, and in this version, this guy named Isaac Wimberly comes out. And he communicates this forever pursuing, forever rescuing, forever redeeming love of God poured out for us through the cross of Jesus. And I've watched this video like a hundred times. And I'm sitting on the couch. Tears are rolling down my face. Just thinking about it. And my daughter looks over. She said, Daddy, are you crying? And I was like, no, because men don't cry. <laughs> Pastor Jay taught me that. Daddy, are you crying? Yeah, I'm, I'm crying. Are you not listening? She said, but haven't you seen it before? Haven't you heard these words before? And, and in that moment, I thought, God, please. Please. Strike me with a sense of awe every time I hear the gospel. We sing this song, Arise, My Soul Arise. And the third verse says, Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. His precious blood for me. And it says at the end of that line, Forgive him, oh, forgive they cry, nor let that ransom sinner die. I was, it's an upbeat, fast song. It's not like a slow song where you're like, ah. Oh. 
I'm driving down the road the other day, listening to this song, upbeat, bobbing my head. I get to that third verse, and I start weeping. That the wounds of Jesus received from me on Calvary are crying out, forgive him, oh, forgive him. Don't let that one die. He's mine. I ransomed him. I bought him back. So please, can we reserve the word awesome for the Lord? Can, can we let him own that one? You can own tubular or cowabunga. Uh, I encourage you to go back and watch. Don't watch the new version. Go back and watch the 90s version uh, of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And you can learn a whole new library for things that are cool. But let's reserve the word awesome for God. But Daniel is praying God's character. God, you are awesome. Here I am in captivity. I've been here almost my whole life. I came in a young man, and here I am now, old, with a big white beard, maybe a cane. I'm not sure. It doesn't say. You just got to speculate. But you're awesome. Because you promised that this wouldn't be our people's forever. And so he begins his prayer with the scriptures, sprinkled all throughout his prayer as the character of God. And there in the middle is this prayer of confession of sin. And the most interesting thing as I was reading this, I read through it and I circled it in my Bible. If you come up and look here, after service, you'll see the words we, our, or us is said 20 times. 20 times he prays that our sin. Daniel's sin as an individual is not what led God's people into captivity. But he knew that had it not been their sin, it would have been mine. As devoted as I am to you, God, I know my heart. I know my tendency. Three times a day I pray. Look at that. Look at that, God. Look at that. People even know me as the praying guy. Remember the time they trapped me? Trapped me? Because they knew I wouldn't quit praying. Now, this is in the future from here. But this pride that wells up inside of you and me, it welled up inside of Daniel. Daniel was no sinless hero. And he attaches himself to this. We have sinned and done wrong. We have not listened to your servants and the prophets. To you, O Lord, belongs a righteousness, but to us open shame. To us, O Lord, belongs shame to, the, to our kings and our princes, to our fathers, because we. That's how you know. That's how you know Daniel understood exactly who he was. Because he says, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers. And how many times when you're confessing sin, maybe you find yourself in a situation not because of anything you've done, but because of their sin, and their sin, and their sin. I'm here. But Daniel says, because of the sin of our kings, because of the sins of our princes, 
because of the sins of our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Daniel knew that the people would never choose God on their own. And then he points forward there at the end. And this is where we point forward to Jesus. We always, always, always want to read the Bible and see how it points us forward to Jesus. Daniel's life did not point us to the greatness of Daniel. You go back to the Old Testament and you, you study in Genesis, you study the life of Joseph. Joseph's life did not point us to the greatness. It did not point us to the character. It did not point us to an aspiration to be like Joseph. But it pointed us forward to Jesus. Daniel's life points us forward to Jesus. You see, Joseph's life. Joseph was the beloved son of his father. And he was hated by his brothers. And he was left for dead by his brothers. That points us forward to Jesus. John 3.16. How many know that one? Right? Anybody? Let's say it. Let's do that one together. If you know it, say it. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. His only begotten son, the beloved son of the father, hated, hated by his brothers, you and me. Joseph thrown in a hole and left for dead, sold for some silver. Jesus betrayed by one of his closest for some silver and taken and not left for dead, but made dead, crucified for you and me. Joseph's life did not point us to the character and greatness of Joseph. Daniel's life does not point us to the character and greatness of God. And this right here, we're about to read the redemption of his people where they get to go back to, to Jerusalem where God builds his city where he returns to the people worship. That isn't pointing us forward to that time either, but it's pointing us forward to Jesus. Verse 16, it says, O Lord, according to all of your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from the city of Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for our iniquity, the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant and the pleas for mercy. God owns mercy, right? To you belongs mercy and forgiveness. So listen to our pleas for mercy for your own sake. God's mercy poured out on his people, his forgiveness poured out on his people. For whose sake is that? For God's sake. You and I get forgiveness, we get mercy, but it is for the glory of God. And so pour out mercy on us for your sake. Oh Lord, make your face to shine upon us, shine upon your sanctuary which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear to hear, open your eyes and see our desolation in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your own sake. O oh my God, because your city and your people 
are called by your name. And what it looks like is that God is going to return his people. And he's going to send Ezra and Nehemiah back to rebuild the wall. And he's going to return worship to the temple. It's going to be taken from the temple and it'll be returned back to the temple again. But this restoration, this redemption that he is praying for based on the promises of God and the character of God after confessing his sin is not about Jerusalem. It is not about the physical temple, but it is about our ultimate forgiveness in Jesus. God, forgive us. Restore us. The only way to forgive broken, sinful people who are incapable of ridding themselves of self is to insert yourself into the story and die for those who could not and would not turn their back on sin. We have so many people that fill so many churches who think, I have prayed that prayer and I've received the communion and now I am whole. But may we never forget the line of the song we sang earlier. The dying thief, though vile is he. I'm just like him. I'm just like him. I have not achieved a certain level of greatness because I know outside of Jesus I'm broken and sinful and I will return to myself at every opportunity. And here's the deal. Even with Jesus, I keep trying to go back to broken me. I have trouble memorizing the Bible and so I don't live in its power. I have trouble even visualizing the Bible and so I don't live in its power. So Jesus comes and lives in the full power of God so that you and I may experience that. And God sends his spirit to convict us of our sin. Hey, remember? You used to do that. And Jesus died so that you didn't have to. That's right. That's right. Remember how you used to think that thing would complete you? Remember how you used to think that that would fill you up? And remember how time and time and time again it proved to you that it never would? Jesus came that you may have life and have it fully, abundantly, overflowing, not because of anything that you would ever do, not because you woke up one day and said, huh, think today I'm going to become a Christian. What was that prayer? What was that prayer? I need to say that. What was it? No, you didn't wake up one day and decide today's the day. But the Spirit of God moved upon you in a full understanding of just how broken and sinful you would be. Just how broken and sinful and prone to return back to that like a dog returns to its vomit. So the sinner returns to his folly. God said, man, I don't want you to eat that anymore. I'm going to give you something new to eat. Which is why we wrap up our time together feasting on the new thing that God gave us to eat. 
that you and I don't have to return to our vomit. We don't have to return to the things that used to satisfy us momentarily but would come back up. But he said, feast on my body, broken for you, that you may be whole. Feast, feast on my blood. Take this cup and feast. Don't just sample. You hear that? If you and I come in here and this is the sum total of our interaction with God, then we are coming in and sampling the body of Jesus. And we are sampling the cup. But he says, feast on me. He took the Passover feast and he turned it into the Lord's Supper. Right? You don't have to sample on this anymore, but you can feast on it. You can be filled with it. And hey, here's the deal. You can share it with anyone because there's more than enough. So this morning as we come to the table, we return back to song, singing, asking God to guide us. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, painting a picture in our hearts and our minds of how God led his people through the desert, took them through the impossible, guided them, the cloud during the day and fire at night, where he fed them anew every morning, where they never, though they were nomadic through the wilderness, they never had to wonder, where are we going? How are we going to get there? And what are we going to eat? This morning as you come, I want you to come with this thought of prayer. I want you to come and I want you to feast on the body and the blood of Jesus, remembering the character of God, remembering the promises of God, and remembering the depth of your own sin that requires the character and promises of God. Right? If you could do it on your own, you wouldn't need God's promises. And if you could do it on your own, you wouldn't need his character to come through on his promises. But the depth of our sin leads us to this place where we have to continually remind ourselves. We have to continually run to the promises of God. We have to continually be pointed to the character of God. Not that we could one day become prayer experts, but that slowly and surely through the power of the Spirit, you and I can become holy. You and I were made positionally holy with God the moment we confessed our sins and need for Jesus. You became eternally holy, but practically, you're broken. The apostle Paul would not have had to write in Romans chapter 12 that renewing your mind was your spiritual act of worship if there weren't still something broken in the way that we think. And if our broken thinking didn't lead us into our actions. So come to the table this morning. Feast. Feast. On the body and blood of Jesus. Thinking on his character and his promises. Knowing that his character and his promises cover our sins through the blood of Jesus. As we sing together this morning, you come.